It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And welcome to episode two of the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast, uh, hopefully the podcast that's helping promote Milwaukee in a positive light. Uh, today we are going to be talking with Tony Shields, the executive director of the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee, or for abbreviation purposes, Uncommon. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to just jump right in here, Tony. Um what what is the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee? Well, uh, United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee or UNCOM uh, is a collaborative of neighborhood settlement house organizations uh, throughout the city of Milwaukee. Uh, we have eight member organizations that uh, participate in various activities uh, that uh, UNCOM uh, develops, uh, raises funds for, and uh, implements uh, across uh, across community centers uh, throughout the throughout the city of Milwaukee. We have. Uh, eight member organizations that work with us. Um, when you look at a two mile radius around each of our member agencies, we have we've effectively covered the entire city of Milwaukee, with the exception of the farthest northwest and the farthest southern tip of the city. Okay. Now um, you talked about settlement houses. Yeah. So now, um, looking at your website and doing a little bit of research. Um, you're kind of an umbrella organization, correct? Correct. correct. We're, we're, we're an umbrella membership organization that does cross-community programming. Okay. So each settlement house or each neighborhood house or each center kind of runs their own program? Yeah, yeah. Each of the uh, each of the UNCOM member agencies in their own or their own separate 501c3 organization. And our job is to help... Uh, strengthen the power of those member organizations through of those organizations through our membership organizations. So, we're developing cross community programming uh, programming that is that is implemented in each of our member agencies, uh, which allows us to have a greater impact over over the city of Milwaukee and over over organizations as a whole. Now, I know each one of your member organizations. There's a lot of common ground that they cover. Right. Uh, and I'm trying to find my list here, and I apologize. Uh, you're. Um, one of them is Agape. Uh, Agape. So Agape. I, I could actually, I can list them for you. So okay. our, our eight member organizations are Agape Community Center, which is located uh, roughly in Sherman and Florist uh, in the Berry Hill Housing Project in Milwaukee. Uh, we have the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center, which is located in the West Lawn neighborhood. Um, that is on 64th and Silver Spring. We have a COA Youth and Family Centers, which is, has, a loca- has two locations, one in River West and one on 24th and Burleigh. Uh, Northcott Neighborhood House is located on 6th and Wright. Uh, then we have Next Door Foundation, which is in the Metcalf Park neighborhood. Uh, neighborhood House, which is on roughly 27th and State. And then on the south side, we have uh, Journey House, which is in the Clark Square neighborhood. And then we have uh, the Milwaukee Christian Center, which uh, just opened up a brand new facility on 14th and National Avenue. So you assist these organizations to carry out their, their programs? Yes. Um, and their services. Right. And it looks like, and I'm going to probably generalize a lot because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're dealing with eight different places. Yeah. But, but reading through your literature and doing some background, um, a lot of education programs. Right. Um, for adults and, and, and children. Right. Uh, a lot of after school programs. Correct. Um, some meal programs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like everyone has. Well, the. Um, 
so uh, the settlement house movement is something that was developed at the turn of the century uh, in the 1900s. So if you can imagine, if you will, uh, immigrants coming into a city, um, whatever by whatever means, whatever means of transportation they come off of, boat, train, horseback, whatever it might be, they'll come into a community. And there was actually um, a method by which uh, when settlers would come into a community, there would be there would be a, literally be a triage for them, and they would be asked questions. They would be asked, okay, so um, what is your ethnicity? What religion did you come from? And then people would answer these these short triage questions. And then uh, once you realize kind of what their background was of these individuals, they were actually referred to settlement house organizations in different neighborhoods. Um, this helped build communities over time. This helped build an infrastructure of support. So you would they would say, oh, so you go to this particular settlement house, you'll get information on jobs in your neighborhood, you'll get information on schooling, you'll get information on stores and other other services that can be provided um, at a neighborhood level. Over time, when fewer immigrants were coming into cities like Milwaukee, these neighborhood settlement houses transitioned away from this model of this triage for settlers and became more neighborhood center based. And really that's today where our neighborhood centers are. Some of them still do some work with immigrants that are coming into the city, but for the most part, they're working on neighborhood issues that are happening in uh, in neighborhoods throughout the city of Milwaukee. The one thing that holds true, though, to the tradition of what settlement houses were is settlement houses are organizations that work with and um, help uh, improve the lives of people from early years all the way through the twilight, all the way through twilight. So you'll see our member organizations have early childhood programming all the way to elder, elderly and adult programming that's happening in each of the agencies. So what is your your primary function in helping these settlement houses you i guess being an umbrella organization yeah. you would help them find common ground right and right. that kind of kind of thing so you know we are um we are a convener um we are a um best practice um um steward as it relates to uh neighborhood settlement houses so uncom has been in existence since 1996 and originally, it was an opportunity for like-minded organizations to come together and discuss issues that were related to these like-minded organizations. And it could be anything from a best practice perspective. It could be, um, you know, we're interested in uh, this particular outreach or this particular work in the community. How many of you uh, others have worked on this in the past? And what are some of the best practices that have come out of this? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? Um, it can, and it could be something as simple as, you know, we are looking for an accountant. Um, um, to help us with some of our business functions. Who knows a good accountant? So it was really simple, um, very rustic type of best practice around the table groupings of individual organizations. Around 2001, um, the organizations began to see the power of the work that they were doing, began to see the power of the impact of a united front, a united effort. And at that point, they decided to become, an, they, they decided that Uncom should become a, a, a nonprofit 501c3 organization so that it could raise money for cross-community programming. And really, that's really how the genesis of the organization from a from a cross-community implementation standpoint began to, began to start. Um, so over that time, from around 2001 to about 2008, um, it was a pretty simple model. 
the organization would um, the organizations would come together and they would try to identify opportunities or issues in the community that they that they wanted to uh, that they wanted to combat. So it could be youth programming, it could be jobs programming, all, a myriad, whole myriad of health issues. Um, and then one of the agencies would kind of champion the effort. And then uh, whoever championed the effort would usually be the organization that would kind of write the grant and facilitate the grant. And then if that grant came in, they would actually house the individual that would actually carry forward the work on a cross community level. Um, this model worked for the organization, but um, it was it was it, 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 at that time it still didn't have full time staff and full time executive directors that were working on behalf of on behalf of Uncom, on behalf of the agencies through Uncom. So in 2008, um, we became a funded partner of the Zilber Neighborhood Initiative. Um, the late Joe Zilber uh, from Zilber Property Group um, made a commitment to um, to put dollars, resource dollars into Milwaukee neighborhoods. Uh, he started out with two neighborhoods in Milwaukee, uh, the Clark Square neighborhood and the Lindsay Heights neighborhood. And uh, as part of that work, uh, the leaders of the Zilber Family Foundation wanted to make sure that they had an organization that was part of uh, that that had best practice in neighborhood development, that had um, a mindset around convening and bringing organizations together. Uncom was a perfect fit for that, along with uh, LISC, uh, Milwaukee LISC, um, Local Initiative Support Corporation. Um, they did they do more of the bricks and mortar work. They do more of the neighborhood development work, and we were more of the uh, neighborhood development, uh, cross community. Um, we were more of the social service aspect to the work. Uh, and when we got that funding from Zilber, they uh, also also committed resources to build the capacity of Uncom, and by building the capacity of Uncom, streamlining our efforts. Ability to hire an executive, a full-time executive director, and at that point, that's how I came on board to the organization. So you're the inaugural. I am the I am the official first full-time inaugural <laughs> Grand Poobah. Although I don't like the word Grand Poobah, I am the Grand Poobah of of uh, United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee. I am the first executive director of the organization. Yes. Okay. How's that working out for you? It's working out great. I mean, it it, it has been a, a fantastic opportunity. I mean, when we started as an organization, when when I started with the organization in 2009. Uh, we had just hired two uh, full-time employees to work on a job workforce development program that we were working on. Uh, since then, we have uh, grown the organization. We have we have consolidated all of our programming under under one roof, under one office. Um, we have increased the number of employees that we have as an organization. I think we're up to about 16, 16 employees right now. I think seven of them are full-time employees. Um, we have we have grown our annual budget from somewhere around two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to in the neighborhood of 1.3 million uh so we've we've had some significant growth over the last five years and we've had some really exciting programs um that we're working on that uh that we're really excited about now these programs we talk about i, I guess your structure uncom has their own programs that they facilitate correct okay um working with your partner agencies then do they come to you and say, hey, this is something, uh, do they come to you looking for something, looking for input, and you develop something for them, or are you developing them looking at the needs of the, the organizations and then passing that down? So we do both. We do okay. both. We look at the needs of, uh, we look at the needs of the organization. We look at the needs of the community. Um, one of the things that we developed uh, that has been a really good, useful tool for us is that we've, we've developed affinity teams uh, throughout the organization. And basically what our affinity teams do is we take content experts 
um, from uh, various functions within each of the Uncom member agencies. And we bring those representatives together to who meet regularly to help us discuss issues, um, understand what it is that we may advocate for, understand what it is that we may, um, what, what, what energy, what issues that there's energy and passion around. Uh, and then we may pursue um, opportunities based on those particular meetings. Sometimes we just see what community needs are out there. Other times, you know, we're not unlike most nonprofits where we see where potential funding streams are and develop programs around those particular funding streams. Um, right now, we've got a portfolio of some really good, interesting programs uh, that we're working on. Um, we have uh, the Violence Prevention Initiative, which is a research um, project uh, in partnership with the Medical College of Wisconsin, uh, Healthier Partners Partnership Pro Program, um, which is designed to uh, develop opportunities for learning around uh, how to uh, combat the violence issues that are happening in the community. Uh, we have, uh, we've done some really good diligent work as it relates to uh, youth readiness for workforce, workforce readiness training, um, kind of building kids up from getting them ready for work, getting them to understand the challenges and how to be employable. Uh, we have some great programs around um, Milwaukee Childhood Obesity, well, around Childhood Obesity with the Milwaukee Childhood Obesity Prevention Project, which is a program that is developing policy in each of our member agencies around active living, um, around land use, uh, around and around healthy eating and access, and access to healthy foods. Um, we are we've now ventured into the areas of healthy birth outcomes uh, with a partnership that we're working with the University of Wisconsin Partnership Program. Um, and we're, so we're working on healthy birth outcomes, uh, helping young parents uh, become um, uh, 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 more knowledgeable about the things they need about themselves as it relates to becoming better parents that, so, that, so that we can reduce the number of children who are, who are dying before one or two, one or two years, one or two. Um, we have um, we have a program uh, that we just started, the CHIMSI program. Uh, it's a childhood immunization program. It's designed to help parents and educate parents about uh, immuniz immunizing their children. Because what we, one thing we've learned is that um, children who in, before the school and the preschool ages who meet certain benchmarks and immunizations is one of those benchmarks when children are immunized get, get their immunizations and we know that they are um, that they that their parents are engaged in that particular process they actually statistically stand a better chance of excelling in school when they get into when they get into the school age years um, we're working on uh, diabetes programs uh, we are working on uh, a myriad of really interesting things a lot of it rooted in practice a lot of it rooted in figuring out how to what works for one agency or what what might work programming wise um, in one place and taking that best practice and, re and replicating it in other member agencies okay now one thing um, you, you had mentioned um, as far as setting up programs um, so part of part of what you're doing and hopefully I pulled this out correctly <laughs> for what you were saying um, a big part of your job is trying to find grants and find money, not just for your organization, but for your partner agencies. Yeah, we yeah we are we are, we are trying to build the capacity of our member organizations as well as our own capacity as an organization. Correct. And and part of that, uh, it sounds like you go two ways on that. Then, so one of it is seeing what money's out there and then developing a program right. that. Basically, yep. you're saying, oh, you're looking for someone to do diabetic education, for right. example. Right, that's exactly right. All right, so you go to the Medical College of Wisconsin, has a fund. You say, hey, we'll do that. We can do we'll that work, work with you. We can develop a program to do that work. That's um, exactly right. Then the other aspect I would imagine is trying to uh, 
just get available funds from other organizations that maybe don't have a necessary agenda or a program. Right. Um, so that's a big part of your job. I yeah, understand. it's a big part of our job is really finding out uh, and really having a good and candid discussions about community needs and what is important and, 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 and what's the movement of, of, of the people that are on the ground. What issues are out there that are, um, that are important to the community that need to be addressed? For example, um, we got into the childhood obesity game uh, and I, and I, kind of set that kind of flip but we got into we got into programming around childhood obesity prevention because we know that 39 percent of the, of youth in the city of milwaukee are overweight or obese uh, it's a huge problem um it's something that cannot be conquered in a day uh, it's a generational thing um and it was really the genesis for us going after robert wood johnson funding foundation funding to uh to begin to start up this to start up the milwaukee childhood obesity prevention project so we're looking at community needs we're looking at what's happening in the community on a on a daily basis and thinking about okay what program would we have the capacity to be able to develop that can help come that can help combat that issue that's facing the community What are your biggest challenges in the community right now? What what do you see as now? You've touched on childhood obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the biggest challenge you think you have in 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 what you see right now as well, far as your it, programs? It's, it's interesting, Steve, because I've I've been asked this question before, and um, a little bit of a cop out, a little bit of a cop out answer, in that um, it's all interrelated. Everything is related to something else. And, and let me just I've already been long winded tonight, but let me oh, no. just give me a little <laughs> latitude to kind of to kind of delve into this. Um, when you look at an issue like violence mm-hmm. in our community, um, think about a mom uh, who wants to make sure that her kids are safe. So um, she would will decide, OK, schools gets out at a certain time. I want to make sure that my child gets from point A to point B. Um, his house, our house is now a safe zone. I feel like our house is safe if our child can get home from school and get into our house. Um, I don't want our kid, I don't want my child to necessarily be out in the street because it's it, the street could, could potentially be dangerous. Uh, things are out there, something could happen to my child. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to save up my money. I'm going to buy an Xbox. I'm going to allow my child to play with the Xbox after school. And I'm going to buy him some snacks that he can have in his house. And he he's basically homebound at that point. Well, think about it when we were kids, um, because our streets were a little bit safer or we felt a little bit safer. We felt a little bit more comfortable in our streets. We get home from school. We'd be out riding our bikes. We'd be out running around. We'd be out doing all kinds of stuff. We'd walk the four blocks to the park or to the playground that we were going to go to. But because neighborhoods are so um, neighborhood, because we're starving to have safe environments for our youth to be in. Um, and the streets aren't always safe. Um, kids aren't able to get out and be as active as we'd like them to be. So that whole violence issue is a contributor to a 39% obesity rate with our young people. Same thing happens with, um, with job readiness. You know, if people aren't, if people aren't, aren't able to seek, apply for, um, interview in a interview in good ways, and then, uh, obtain a job and keep it because they're job ready. Um, it, 
and they don't have jobs because of it, it contributes to the unemployment rate. It contributes to unstable families. It contributes to a whole myriad of issues that can happen inside of a family. So it, it, there are a lot of issues that are facing our community. There's a lot of good work that's happening to combat a lot of these issues, uh, but they're all interrelated. So a lot of the stuff that's happening in the community um, in in not positive ways really contributes to other issues that are happening in the community in not positive ways. Do you often get frustrated because you'll make improvements or make ground, gain ground in one area and lose it in another? I mean, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, there are, I, I think one, one of the things that, um, one, of the, one of the really good things that is happening in our community uh, that we see on a regular basis is the resiliency of the people that live in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. the people that live in our communities. Um, the, the, the resiliency, the true passion, um, the, the engagement that people have, but in a lot of instances, um, people that are living in the communities in many instances are passionate about things, but they don't know what the next movement is. They don't know what the next, uh, they don't know where their leadership skills can take them. Sometimes strategically, um, they're not at the place where they're able to take their passion and really pinpoint it in a very strategic way in order to affect change. There are a lot of individuals that are doing a lot of great things. There are a lot of individuals that are very passionate. And I think the thing that frustrates you the most and the thing, the biggest fear that you have is, is that when you see people who are engaged, ready to go, fired up in, in, in within their community, and if they don't see the changes that are taking place, they begin to get a little weary and walk away from that passion. So I think that's the biggest fear that we all have is that the people who are engaged today, um, how do we maintain a leadership acumen for them that that keeps them engaged and keeps them going forward in the community? And, um, you know, we have developed some great partnerships with organizations. Um, We currently uh, we just recently graduated a class of, uh, of of a project called the Neighborhood Leadership Institute. Um, Northwestern, uh, Northwestern Mutual Foundation, Greater Milwaukee Foundation, Zilber Family Foundation, LISC, UNCOM, and Cardinal Stritch University developed a year-long curriculum to develop neighborhood leaders, to, to identify people who live, in, who live and work in the community and give them a year-long uh, curriculum around leadership development that they will then take those leadership, leadership skills back into their community and affect change. Um, it's that kind of grassroots a very specific, very strategic outreach to help be to help build the self-efficacy and leader and leadership skills of individuals. That's going to help really move neighborhoods in a, in a in a in a really exciting and positive direction. The leadership aspects, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it, I would imagine, to affect change in the neighborhood, um, you need to have an established neighborhood. Do you find? The neighborhood and the neighborhood houses, I guess, I don't want to call them, it, it, how transient are the areas? Does it, are, are people kind of, uh, are they sticking around when they affect the change or, um, you know, and, 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 and like my parents, you know, um, and again, I'm going to go back old school mm-hmm. and, and probably your parents too, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they grew up in the city and you, you make, you get a good job yep. and you affect you some it. change and, and you keep it and, and, and you move away a little bit. You get out of the old neighborhood and you and you move to, you know, a couple blocks away yep. or, or mm-hmm. the next neighborhood over because maybe it's a little bit nicer because you mm-hmm. can afford a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how do you keep that from happening in these neighborhoods? How do you get people to take stock in the neighborhood? Yeah. Well, I think people are taking stock in neighborhoods. There, there, there is a lot more. There is a lot more home ownership happening in neighborhoods than I think people actually realize. That being said, yes, there is a little bit of a transient feel to our neighborhoods. Um, there is consistent movement. Um, people are moving uh, from place to place. Uh, there is a uh, landlord tenant. Um, system that's taking place in a lot of neighborhoods and really it comes down to the stabilization the, the areas that can help stabilize communities so your local schools your churches your neighborhood centers help to build that stabilization within within the neighborhoods that people can go to those particular places one of the things that uh, uncom has is we actually have a database that we use uh, that is shared by each of our member organizations and we can actually track the people who are using our utilizing the services that are happening in each of our member agencies and track the activities that they're participating in and track um, uh, where they're doing and where they're, where, what they're doing and where they're doing it at. And one of the things that we're finding is that we're able to actually look at people and see that they, even if they move out of one neighborhood, that they are going into other community centers, other uncommon member agency centers for services and activities. So, the good news is, is that the bad news is, is that there is sometimes a transient feel to what's happening in neighborhoods. But the good news is, is that people are recognizing when they move into a new neighborhood, what the services are that are in that neighborhood and how that can help enhance their lives and, and contribute to the betterment of their lives. So, um, yeah, it is hard to I think back to your original question. It is very difficult to um, to. Uh, establish a stable neighborhood when there's instability among the people that are there. But when you do find people that are engaged in their neighborhoods, it can be very powerful and very strong, and a lot of good things can happen from that. Now, one thing um, you had mentioned, one of, one of your partner organizations is the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center. Yeah. The Silver Spring Neighborhood Center. And that is, uh, and I keep, what, what is, what's the uh, housing project? Uh, Westlawn. Westlawn Westlawn Westlawn. Yep. I, I was want to say Barry yep. Land, but and Westlawn has done a phenomenal job yes. of rebuilding. I mean, they leveled the 1940s housing. Correct. That is correct. <laughs> and that have is put correct. up. They've done one side. They're going to do the other side soon. Yeah. And put up some very phenomenal looking buildings and houses. Um, has have has there been? A big, I want to say, is, is that uplifted that neighborhood? I mean, yeah, just I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, it's they always say, you know, put a, the broken windows thing, yes. you know, fix so, a broken window, throw a coat of paint on a house, and it just. So there is a, um, there is a, um, there are theories around how neighborhood centers can can be catalysts and be drivers in transforming neighborhoods, um, and the the success that is happening over. Uh, in that neighborhood with the Westlawn Housing Project is related to a lot of a lot of important factors coming together at the same time. One, um, a lot of the individuals, many of the individuals that lived in that neighborhood were longtime residents in that neighborhood. Um, there is uh, the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center, which is an anchor organization in that particular neighborhood. Uh, they partner with the, with the Milwaukee Public School Browning School, which is part of the actual facility of the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center. A very strong school, a very strong community learning center after school program that's taking place in that particular area. Uh, Silver Spring Neighborhood Center leveraged, th leveraged things like a health center on site uh, to really build a strong community feel. 
Um, they utilized uh, relationships with the city of Milwaukee, um, with uh, with housing and urban, with with HUD, um, and were able to mobilize and move on this particular effort that allowed them to develop what is now turned out to be a really great inner city neighborhood development mm -hmm. uh, that is transforming lives. We just had a um, we just had the second year uncom. Uh, has uh, an annual event called the Walk for Wellness. Uh, it's kind of, we walk it like we talk it um, in terms of uh, healthy eating and active living. We bring all of our Uncom member agencies together uh, to develop um, to develop a, 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 an, an evening uh, two-mile walk uh, around one of our Uncom facilities. And uh, this past year, we actually had the event uh, at the Silver Spring Neighborhood Center on their site. And uh, it was fantastic listening to everyone rave about uh, the walk and the neighborhood and the development of the new West Lawn neighborhood. Um, but stories like that are happening at, uh, at other uncommon agencies too. Um, Journey House on the South side um, has worked over the last three years to bring uh, the former Green Bay Packer practice field to Mitchell Park. Um, so they've, 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 they broke ground on it, uh, in, um, June of this year. I, uh, my dates might be a little bit off, but they broke ground on it in June of this year. Um, and, um, in May of this year, actually, they broke ground on it in May of this year. Uh, I'm sorry. They broke ground a year ago. They actually opened it, launched it, um, in May of this year. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they run a, a youth football league out of it. Um, but the use of the Packer Field, the development of the Packer Field coming into the Clark Square neighborhood has had immeasurable positive effects. And and really, people that live in neighborhoods want to they they you know, it's there are there are clear benchmarks that people want. They want to be able to see, feel, smell and taste the good things that are happening in their neighborhood. They want tangible things that they can look at and say now there's movement happening in our neighborhood. So developments like West Lawn or, um, or um, the work that's happening at, um, uh, uh, with the Packer Field with Journey House in the Clark Square neighborhood or the work that uh, COA Youth and Family Centers have done on 24th and Burleigh in, um, in working to uh, get rid of the dilapidated pool, former Moody Pool in their neighborhood, you know, things like that. That's what builds neighborhoods and gets people excited because they're actually seeing something. They're seeing the movement. And then you and then it's amazing how the community and the people who live in those neighborhoods begin to rally around other issues because now they start to believe change can actually happen. Right. Well, I know the Journey House project with the Packer Field. Um, uh, the Marquette High School High School um, utilizes yes. yep, part of exactly that right. Yep. Um, and, and I got to believe just having more activity in the neighborhood, having more people around, um, having things going on in right. the evening or during the day. Right. You know, um, you know, I enjoy a good high school football right. game, and uh, and one of my hobbies, you know, takes me to a lot of sports, but. Uh, it's got to feel good that people are coming to their neighborhood from the outside. That's exactly right. So now, um, you know, I don't know, pick a pick a conference foe out of the sky that that Marquette University high plays, uh, but if they are playing, you know, whoever they're playing, who um, is probably not probably, but might have a negative perception right. about certain aspects of the inner city of Milwaukee. All of a sudden, they're looking on the schedule and they're like, whoa. We got to play Marquette University High School on, you know, on 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 twentieth and on twentieth and, and national. You know, their first reaction is going to be their first reaction might be, oh, you know, what's what's this about? Well, now 
They drive to the football game like every parent does, every parent should. They go to the football game and they see this facility in the middle of a Milwaukee neighborhood and that also transforms their opinion about what they're seeing in the city and what their opinion is about uh, the power of neighborhoods and the power of, of, of transform, transformational activities that can help uh, enhance a neighborhood. And it has a residual effect. And then they go back into their community and they're talking about, wow, I can't believe this facility that we played at. And it was right in the middle of the Clark Square neighborhood. Um, what a wonderful thing. And so it, the effects of this have, have bigger ramifications than just, hey, a football field was built in a given neighborhood. The effects can, can be long lasting and be sustainable over years and years to come. Now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on you. And you had said you'd started with the organization in 2008. 2009, yeah. 2009. 2009. Okay. And not a good time period uh, anywhere in any city, anywhere, in probably nowhere in the country. Um, you know, with the housing bubble burst, um, which dramatically affected a lot of those neighborhoods. Right. Um, you know, I've got a few friends that live in some of the neighborhoods that uh, there, there's these shelter houses and, and, and the in sheer number of foreclosures. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've kind of, you've come in kind of on the bottom rung mm-hmm. um, with the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you feel five years later, four um, years later? I, I, mean, <laughs> I actually feel, I actually feel very inspired. Um one of the things that you saw was, and, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, you saw the resilience of organizations. Um, you saw the resilience of people that lived in neighborhoods. You did see a couple of organizations kind of fall by the wayside. You saw projects and initiatives kind of fall by the wayside. And um, the stronger organizations with um, better strategies and better sustainability models lasted. Uh, tough times for everybody, but um, a lot of organizations really hunkered down and um, uh, we were able to sustain a lot of the good work that was happening in neighborhoods. Um, there were tough conversations that were happening. Um, there were tough things that were taking place as related to decisions that were being made around funding, what, what funders were funding, um, you know, nonprofit Organization, nonprofit, the, the the vocation of working for a nonprofit is competitive by nature. Uh, it's like it's not unlike a lot of sales jobs that are out there. I, I've done sales <laughs> before, and uh, it's it's it it can be it can be even more challenging in a lot of respects. I mean, um, a lot of your funding streams were yeah, a lot narrowed. Of, a lot of funding streams were narrowed. A lot of funding streams were asking us to do more with less. One of the things that one of the advantages that we had was that a lot of funders. Consistently, even you know, around the time of the around around the time of the bubble bursting, before that, you know, my time um, on the corporate side, working on the corporate side, a lot of funders are always asking organizations to be collaborative. Um, you know, a lot of organizations are asking funders are asking organizations to do two things: they're asking them to do more with less, and they're also asking them to to try to not duplicate efforts, try not to do what the other guy is doing. Think about how if the other organization is doing something similar to what you're doing, how can you collaborate together and one of the good things about united neighborhood centers of milwaukee is that we already have that collaborative mindset we're already thinking about how we're working together we come to the table with eight strong organizations that are working together that are impacting the lives of sixty-four thousand people throughout the city of milwaukee um and so when we are um 
when we are talking to funders or we're talking to organizations about the power and the work that what we can do and how we can consolidate that work and how we can um, uh, not duplicate efforts, not only not duplicate efforts, but also think about how we can streamline our efforts in eight neighborhood centers. Um, it really helped us to have a leg up on our work and um, didn't force us to really feel a hugely negative brunt during some of those lean years in say oh nine ten that were out there um you'd mentioned your budget has grown to 1.6 one about 1.4 1.3 million 1.4 1.3 million yeah which is uh, the industry that i work in the business i work in that's our you know that's our uh, that's our revenue okay year. so i so i can appreciate the dollars that are flowing through yeah there. um how much of that i mean are you you're obviously constantly searching for funding right grants can run out correct how much of your budget are you are you going after every year i mean are there renewable grants that just pop up are there people yeah. that come to you every year with a certain set amount of money yeah so you can so, so so this nonprofit model um is very counterintuitive to kind of the business models that i've worked on, on the corporate side um, it's extremely hard work. Uh, sat down yesterday at a staff meeting and just talked about how unpredictable this can be in many respects, um, how uh, the funding streams are, are not always, you know, that you could be as an organization, you could be doing good work. You could be making affecting change on a given program and the funding stream for that particular program can go away, can, can potentially go away. Um we have a lot of programs that we're working on that are uh, that have restricted funding uh, that give us very specific um, parameters and requirements on, what, on on the work that we can do with that funding. Um, we also have some some funded programs that are unrestricted that allow us to have a little bit more flexibility and be creative in the work that we're doing. Um, United Neighbor Center, Centers of Milwaukee, we do have a really good model that we that we have found to be very effective. Um, what we do is what I what I have done in, as an organization is I have developed um, uh, a model within our organization where we have single points of contact content experts who are effectively the champion within our organization who handle a particular project. They are the they are the single point of contact on that on that particular project. They're working with all of our member agencies, working with their affinity teams. Um, keeping a close eye on their budgets, doing all the work that's associated with a given program. Um, this model allows us to be pretty, to work pretty lean. It allows us to do more with less and it allows us to be very efficient, but also it allows us to have a really good customer service acumen in terms of the work that we're doing. Um, so the single point of contact is really a single point of accountability. Um, that allows us to be able to be pretty good stewards as it relates to the funding sources that we have. Uh, and it gives us a great deal of accountability uh, in the work that we're doing. And again, you know, we're always seeking, we're kind of, we're turning over rocks, you know, we're running around, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to find funding streams to help keep our organization sustainable because we know we're doing good work, but we also know that in order to do that good work, we need the resources to be able to do that and make that happen. Now, in the nonprofit world, though, I would imagine success breeds success for you guys. Is that, I mean, is that part of this? Even if you get a program, you get funding, and you have success with it, that kind of draws in a little bit more? Or does that... That's the model. I mean, that, <laughs> okay. that is the model. We get a lot of funders 
who provide us with seed money, startup, startup costs, startup, startup dollars to launch a program. And then the whole idea around it, what the funders are telling us is, yeah, okay, we're going to give you the start, these startup dollars to launch your program, to build the capacity, to get it going. And then, yeah, in order to be sustainable, um, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take the success of the work that you're doing and build upon that and go out and get additional funding. Um, one of the projects that we're working on right now that we are going through, um, that we're going through a little bit of that model is we have uh, developed a project called the Milwaukee Neighborhood News Service. Um, we partner with Marquette University, uh, and develop and have developed a, um, online news source that, um, that does news stories uh, that are uh, specifically about Milwaukee neighborhoods, people and activities and issues that are happening in Milwaukee neighborhoods. Um, about three years ago, we uh, we polled uh, some of our neighborhood partners and talked to them about um, you know what they'd like to see to help promote their neighborhoods, and and uh, many of the people came back and said you know we're really troubled by how the media perceives us. We're really troubled by how we're how our neighborhood is presented to the media. You know, kind of reactionary. If it bleeds, it leads. Yep. All this negative stuff that's happening out there, and um, we um, so we developed. We went out and developed a proactive media source to cover stories that are happening in Milwaukee neighborhoods. Uh, we got original seed money from the Zober Family Foundation. We started out in the Zober neighborhoods. Um, at the time, there were they they added a third neighborhood from Clark Square and Lindsay Heights in the Layton Boulevard's West neighborhood. We launched the neighborhood news service in that in, in those three neighborhoods. Then we got additional funding to branch out to more neighborhoods from the Greater Milwaukee Foundation through their Healthy Neighborhoods Initiative. And then we got a national funding grant from the Knight Foundation um, to expand and help build our sustainability plan and help build our marketing plan. Um, but what we're get, but in, a, a lot of indications are is that even though the project is looked upon as a really good project with a lot of great success, a lot of great partnerships. And we actually take this project, our, our neighborhood news service is not a competitor with other news sources. Any news source is welcome to take stories off of our, off of our, um, off of our uh, website and use them themselves. So, sort of like an associated press model. We've had enormous success with this particular project. There's a lot of buzz around the neighborhood news service, but we're also getting clear indications that our funding sources are not going to fund us forever. And so they're asking us how we're developing sustainability plans in order to help keep the project sustainable. So are we developing a sponsorship model? Are we developing sales and advertising models? How are we increasing um, the readership so that we can build a model that would be attractive to someone who would want to invest in us? That's just one example of that kind sure. of thing. We see that in every project that we work on. Um, we've had some good programs that have had very short shelf lives because the funding sources that we've worked on have said we're only going to invest for a short snapshot of time. We want you to do good work. Um, we want to do research around these. We want to evaluate these projects. We've gotten evaluations back that have said these projects are wonderful and the good work that you're doing, um, but it doesn't. That doesn't always equate to long-term funding. Um, one of the biggest frustrations of the work that we do is sometimes good work doesn't always continue. And uh, I've got staff people that are beating their heads on desks, going, Man, "I've done a great job on this particular program, and now this particular program might be going away." Um, it's kind of it's kind of the nature of the beast. It's it's an unfavorable part of the nature of the beast, but it's a reality to the kind of work that we're the kind of business and the kind of work that we do. 
I'm looking at your neighborhood news service here right now. Yeah. So, um, is this only web based? Yes, it is only web based okay. right now. Yes. Um, and I, and I find it interesting um, uh, where I'm employed. Um, I see it. My, I, I work in a place in the North Shore, of Milwaukee. Yep. But, but we are right in the heart of things. Uh, mm-hmm. We we have a large um, contingency of people who are in these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it happened today. Uh, a woman asked me, you know, well, she was having a service performed. I said, well, you can get a coupon online. And she says, I don't have a computer. Um, <laughs> do you run into that buzzsaw? Where- we, we, have, we have gone back and forth on this issue <laughs> a lot as it relates to the neighborhood news service. So I, I often think of kind of grandpa who... You know, likes to grab his newspaper, likes to likes to likes to likes to read it when he's eating breakfast, and then he takes it with him to the next to the next journey after the breakfast, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I, I, I picture that. Um, but our research has told us that um, people who are living in uh, in Milwaukee neighborhoods are a lot more mobile than the perception is around mobility. Um, a lot of people are trading in their landlines and just have their mobile phone. A lot of people are trading in um, kind of the traditional modes of how they're communicating and are looking online. And of course, we know because we hear from them, we hear from them from time to time. There are people that are out there that that clearly are not um, that are not online users. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we have to kind of account for that through word of mouth. Uh, We have explored the possibility of developing kind of hard copy monthlies or hard copy weeklies Mm -hmm. for the neighborhood news service. Right now, it's a cost issue for us. Um, And the the online model is... um, it really is a very cost-effective model for, right. for, for what we're trying to do. But, yeah, I hear the question, and, and again, we've, we've toiled around with that. Uh, we've gone back and forth on that many, many times over the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and maybe get a little too personal, get personal on okay. here. Um, why work for a nonprofit? you got a family. Now, a now family. first of all, I think, my perception, and I've done, and, and and I don't know if this is everybody's perception, but for a while, you know, for a while, you'd hear the word nonprofit, right? And you think church, you think some <laughs> some poor sap working out of a basement, you know, packaging up canned goods for people who can't afford food, yeah, um, you know, scraping for grants or handouts mm-hmm. or 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 getting um, going to the stores or uh, organizations and getting a few bucks here, a few yep. bucks there to help pay for things. Um, and doing a little bit of research about what a nonprofit, five hundred one nonprofit is, mm-hmm. um, I know there's a lot of not a lot. There's a few people out there, because unfortunately, people I talk to on a regular basis <laughs> that you know they look at a nonprofit as a dodge that somebody's lying in their pocket. Okay, you know, and it's and it and it and, and, and not that, me. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't doubt that. Um, so and, and knowing your background, yeah, um, and seeing the work that you do now. Uh, but knowing your background, where you've worked, the type mm-hmm. of work you've done, mm-hmm. um, the, the companies you've worked for, you could make a ton more money somewhere else. And you may have, uh, you know, in your, in your past couple of pro- professional yeah. endeavors. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially with somebody with a master's degree mm-hmm. in business. Mm-hmm. Um, you could pretty much, I don't want to say punch your ticket, but right. you could be doing a little bit better. Um, so... What is it about a non? Why work for a nonprofit? Well, I think 
you know, I think it goes back to for me for so on a very on a very personal level. For me, it goes back to kind of the work that I've been doing professionally over the course of the last twenty five years. Um, so growing up in Chicago, um, you know, I'm a transplant. Transplant and full disclosure, I don't know if this is gonna in the interview right now, but. Bears fan, uh, coming in from Chicago. Well, there, there's a this part. interview is over. There's, yeah, no, no. There's 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 a hole in the backyard for you when we're. Done. No, but there. Um, so coming from um, coming from Chicago, coming from a family that has been uh, traditionally very vested in their community. Um, my mother um, and f- both my parents were volunteers. They did a lot of volunteering uh, in their in the neighborhood, uh, coaching, church, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I have a brother who is in law enforcement, an uh, older brother who's in law enforcement. I have a younger brother who is a teacher. Um, I came to Milwaukee uh, to attend Cardinal Stritch University um, 30 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, this, this, the, the last month, um, I've been in Milwaukee. I've been dangling in Milwaukee for 30 years now. Um, you know, when I came out of, um, when I came out of college and I got my first job, I was, uh, uh working for, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks organization. I was doing sales and marketing, um, a little bit, of, you know, a little bit of the fast fun life, you know, Hey, you know, we're going to work then we're going to hang out. We're going to get free beer because people are, think we're cool and we work for the bucks. Um, <laughs> psychological perks is what somebody once called it. Um, and, um, I was doing that work, doing the sales and marketing thing, doing the season ticket sales thing. And, um, it's always been a lot of fun. Um, around 1992, 91, 92, um, there was an opportunity to um, help the Bucks consolidate their community relations out, uh, outreach. Um, the Bucks were doing a lot of really good things in the community, but they were doing it. At, but there were different people managing all these different things, and it wasn't in a one-stop kind of one-stop consolidated um, um, under a consolidated model, similar to kind of how I started working at Uncom. I think as I think about this, it's kind of been kind of the 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 norm for my life is grabbing and consolidating um, efforts. Um, and, and I was doing a lot of work going into schools. You know, I was, I was doing a lot of work with the community by, by virtue of this work. And, um, even though I was working for the bucks and it was a lot of fun, there's something to be said about working and being vested in the communities that, 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 that you're, that you're living in, um, and helping an organization be vested in the community. And, um, so, this has been an ongoing thing my entire career. So even as I worked, um, so working for the Bucks and then going to um, uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs for a short time, uh, being the director of their athletic uh, Boys and Girls Sports, um, working for public relations and marketing firms, but working in areas of, um, we were working in uh, tobacco control at the time, uh, working with minority segments around cessation efforts and legislation, early legislation efforts around smoking bans. Um, and then moving into Harley, you know, doing the work that I was doing at Harley Davidson, where uh, I was uh, uh, working on some national motorcycle efforts, working on some national um, charitable organization efforts with Muscular Dystrophy Association and Disabled American Veterans. Um, so even working on the corporate side, this was all kind of this community feel has been kind of with me my entire professional career. And because of that, um, it uh, 
it, it, it was a natural fit for me to really dabble into a leadership role with a nonprofit organization. And that is because I want to affect change. In a lot of respects, it's because I want to affect change. I want to be a positive contributor to the betterment of the city of Milwaukee and the people that live in Milwaukee. But selfishly, I also wanted to run something. I wanted to build something from the ground up and uh, without the capital to be able to go out and do that on my own, uh, to go out and start a business to do that. Um, I went with something that I knew. I went with, I went with something that I knew and something that I was passionate about, which is, which is Milwaukee community work, nonprofit work. Um, and as we talked about earlier uh, through this work, I've been able to build something uh, that I think is pretty tangible and build something that has been really special and built a contributing force along with many other partners and collaborator, co- collaborators um, to build an organization that I think that we all, uh, being the people that work with us, our board of directors, the people that are partnering with us uh, and the community at large can be very proud of. And, um, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd like to think I can make a whole, whole lot of money doing something and maybe I'll do something like that down the road. One day I'll take all these capabilities and do something down the road with that. I don't know. I don't know where my next, I don't know where, where my next chapter will be, but I can tell you that the chapter that I'm kind of working on right now, where I am, the place that I'm in is a good place for me because, um, I really enjoy this type of, I really enjoy making this type of impact. I really enjoy, and I'm really passionate about uh, Milwaukee neighborhoods and the people that live in them. And uh, I'm really passionate about organizations like the settlement houses that we work with who are all affecting positive change and being very transformational as it relates to neighborhoods. So you feel you've got the best of both worlds. I do. I really do feel like I have the best of both worlds now because I am building, uh, I'm building something uh, I've, I've been in the process of building something by way of an organization. Um, you know, running a nonprofit organization is not easy work. I mean, and I mean that from a, I mean that from, I mean that from so many levels, you know, the whole idea around board engagement, uh, board of director engagement, the whole aspects around the financials of it, you know, the perception that people have about, um, Nonprofit work being kind of a money grab. Well, it, you know, it's funny. There, yeah. yeah, it is so regulated. I mean, I mean, it is, it, it is, it is it be, having a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. The due diligence, the regulation, we're audited every year. I mean, it is, it is the 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 scrutiny that we're under has been a really good thing, and it's taught me as as a nonprofit executive director to get away from those shortcuts, minimize, minimize the, minimize the, oh, we'll skip that today and really be thinking about all the things that you need to think about because we're accountable to our funders. I mean, our funders are looking at us going, okay, what have you done with the resources? What have you accomplished? And how did you spend that money? And so we're constantly under that scrutiny and it, and it, and it has, you know, when I worked at Harley as an example, you know, twice a week I get a phone call that there be it would be a scrutinizing type situation. Somebody would want to know. Oh, we want more information. Or uh, can you help us with it? And and you and you 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 feel like you know it was the end of the world. You know, two or three times a week when you get this unpredictable due diligence kind of audit type situation. In the nonprofit world, it, as a nonprofit executive director, it's almost daily. So I've kind of built up this Teflon <laughs> around not really getting even a nerve bite anymore. Like I, I like I have a one of my uh, one of my program directors. 
uh, there was a shift in the, um, the there was a shift in the auditing process that they, that that this particular program did. Um, this program got, had a lot more state funding, and the state was 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 providing more scrutiny, and so there was this audit that took place, and there was nothing you know nothing major, no major findings that came out of it. But they but they asked us a lot of questions. They asked us a whole lot of questions that we weren't used to getting from this particular project. And my program director was just going crazy. He's like, I can't believe they're asking us this. Don't they trust us? What's going on with this thing? And I looked at him and I go, man, I'm asked these kinds of questions about six different programs almost daily. And uh, so you get to a place, you know, so from a so from a personal capacity perspective, mm-hmm. This has been an absolute excellent opportunity for me because it's really changed my perspective and it's really given me a sense of uh, accountability as it relates to a myriad of different things and a myriad of different projects that, that, my, that the organization I work with is working on. So you've worked, uh, I'll pose this one last question to you then, you've worked in the private sector, mm-hmm. you've worked, I'll call what you're doing in the public sector, yep. mm-hmm. even though it's not quote unquote, air yeah. quotes, government yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's harder? I mean, it sounds like I mean. And again, I work. I work for a for you know a, yeah. a family owned company. Yeah. And I guess in my you know in my daily stuff, you know, if we need a piece of equipment or I have to go out and buy something to get the job done, I go out and we get it done. And I it's it's not coming out of my pocket, right? And I know the money's there, but it's <laughs> you know. And I'm guessing in your world, before you can even think about spending it, you get twenty people asking you why. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So is it, you know, again, is the private sector, so is this? It's interesting. In the (laughs) private sector, so both very different animals, both very different animals. In the private sector, you're always on, and it feels like the stakes are higher. It feels like there's, there's there's more of an institutional kind of, public kind of scrutiny that you become under where if you mess up, oh, everybody's going to know about it and it's going to affect, you know, it's going to affect your mobility within the organization. Will I ever get promoted? You know, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Oh, you know, they're, you know, so you kind of go through these, you go through these spells where you feel like your big mistakes, that that a lot of a, a lot of the the, the the light isn't shined on you in the corporate side until you actually mess up. I think in a lot of respects, uh, and so you're always on, you're always leery, you got your head on a swivel, you know, and you're angling, you're thinking about how I can build my career, and nothing wrong with any of that because I've, I've I've I was in that I've I have been in that place, I've been in that place, and don't even mind being in that place. But you're always on, but you're on for different reasons. In the nonprofit sector. Is, it, there's a there's a very big roll up your sleeve mentality. Um, there is um, there is a, a predictability and an unpredictable and an unpredictability all at the same time. But there is there is a very high level of sophistication in the nonprofit sector when you're in, when you're working with certain projects, certain areas, uh, certain areas of interest. Um, 
there are a lot of people who have made the transition from the for-profit side to the nonprofit side, all over nonprofit organizations. And even when you're working with some of the partnerships that you're working on, um, there's a lot of highly educated individuals that you're working with. I mean, we're over at the medical college working on projects all the time. We're working with, you know, PhDs over there all the time. And so there is, there is a, there is a little bit of a, and there's, there is a, there feels like there is a greater urgency. I think the biggest difference, actually what the biggest, the biggest difference is from the corporate side to the nonprofit side is on the corporate side, there's a huge emphasis on organizational development and strategy. On the for-profit side, it's a little bit more, I mean, on the nonprofit side, it's a little bit more immediate and there's isn't all, and although we do try to be good stewards of strategy, there isn't always enough time to be strategic we're reactive a lot more and we're thinking about and we're thinking about how to seize the moment, how to jump on it right away. Whereas on the corporate side, you are looking, you are thinking about your work. Like my example at Harley, for example, uh, my experience at Harley, for example, a lot of work planning, a lot of strategic thinking, a lot of strategic planning, um, all good stuff. And it's stuff that's I've been able to transfer over to the nonprofit side, but I'm not doing half of the, our organization had underwent a strategic planning process. Uh, we've got a pretty good tactical plan for our work going forward. Uh, but all indications are that that's not the norm, that that's the exception to the rule. And even as much as I want to rely on our strategic plan with a lot of the work that we're doing, sometimes it just isn't time to worry about our strategic plan. We got to go because there's a need in the community that's taking place out there. So no time for six months to oh let's get this done in six months to yeah. a year yeah it's, no, it's get it know, done in yeah they're programmatically six days to a yeah week. <laughs> pro programmatically we're able to do some of that but it it feels very immediate and it feels very um it feels it feel it feels very immediate it feels very dramatic and there's a lot of um there's a lot of emotion too that goes along with with a lot of this work that we're doing um. Uh, you know, because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with real people, we're dealing with real issues that are happening. We're dealing with people that are talking about their neighborhoods. We're dealing with people that are passionate about their um, that are passionate about their um, their community centers that are passionate about their jobs. Um, you know, that whole customer service mindset that you take from working at a place like a Harley Davidson, um, all that works. But the formality of that customer service mindset doesn't really get you where you need to get to on the, at the neighborhood and community level. It, it, it has to be relational. It, it, comes down to little, it comes down to relationships and it comes down to trust and being able to get those things done. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up then. Um, we're going to... I want to thank Tony for coming down, Mr. Shields. Steve, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, again, Tony Shields, the Executive Director of the United Neighborhood Centers of Milwaukee, uh, also known as UNCOM. Um, Tony, if the people want to get in touch with you, how would they reach you or reach your organization? Yeah, uh, so uh, our office number is uh, 414-978-2024. Uh, if you have some phone questions that you'd like to ask, and you can also visit us on our website, which is uh, www.uncom-milw.org. So uncom-milwaukee.org. Okay. And we'll have a link to that uh, on our website along with the, uh, uh, the neighborhood news. We'll have uh, links to that on Great. our main page. So if you wish to link up uh, from there, you can. So, again, I'd like to thank Tony for coming down. Steve, thank and you for having me. And uh, 
want to appreciate uh, any listeners who have listened. If you wish to reach us here at Listen Up Milwaukee, uh, MKE, or Listen Up Milwaukee, um, with any ideas, comments, questions, um, ideas for a podcast, you can uh, reach us through commenting on our website, which is the listenupmke.podbean.com. Uh, we are also available on iTunes now, so if you wish to uh, search Listen Up MKE, you should be able to find us right on the iTunes website and uh, link to us that way. Um, the email for us here is listenupmke at yahoo.com. Uh, you can drop me an email, and please make a note in there that if you do want us to read it on the air, that uh, you allow us to do that. Or uh, we're also available on Twitter at listenupmke.com. So, uh, again, I want to thank Tony Shields for a wonderful evening of conversation. Thank you for listening, and uh, keep in touch and listen to us in the future. Thank you.